you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at Colossians 3, reading um, several verses, but focused on uh, verses 18 and 19 as we look and see why the resurrection matters to your relationships and your marriage. So this is Colossians 3, uh, starting in verse 1. Folks, this is the word of Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. As uh, If anyone has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. This is the word of Christ. We're going to start off today by uh, playing a little game. Okay? Got here in my hand a, a dollar. Dollar coin. We're going to play heads or tails. All right? I'm going to flip it. Don't call it out loud, but determine heads or tails in your mind. Um, don't say it out loud. All right? Ready? Here I go. Okay, you got it? How many of you think it's heads? How many of you think it's tails? All right. How many of you know what it is? <laughs> nice. It's either, one. it's either one. You know it's one or the other. All right, I'm going to put this down here just for a second before I tell you if, if you're right or not. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the presence of God to talk about Jesus' view of marriage. That's why we're here today. When you think about Jesus and marriage, what kinds of words come into your mind? What kinds of ideas come into your mind when you think about Jesus and his view of marriage? Harmony? Sacrifice? Community, uplifting, mutually beneficial, intelligent, honoring? Or do other words come to your mind? Do words like oppressive come to your mind? Old-fashioned, ball and chain? Demeaning to women? 
our culture today has not only gotten rid of Jesus' message on marriage, but it has attacked it, it has ridiculed it, it has sought to bury it. And the influence of our culture is so strong that there are lots of people in lots of churches today that don't believe or follow Jesus' view of marriage. And I just want to ask, since we have thrown off the shackles of Jesus' view of marriage, how are we doing? How is marriage faring now that we have rightly dismissed a 2,000-year-old book and its view on marriage? The big number that the statistics throw out, if you search for it, is that one in two marriages end in divorce. Right? Half of all marriages end in divorce. That's a big statistic. What that tells you, what that is communicating, in my mind, is that if you follow our culture today, if you follow our culture today, when you get married, your chances of your marriage not ending in divorce are heads or tails. Think about that. It was tails, by the way. It was tails. And how many people feel like that's what's happening when they say, I do? Maybe it's not so wise that we've tossed Jesus' view of marriage out the window. And incidentally, the problem isn't just with the culture out there. Okay? Um, too many churches are pointing the finger out when they really ought to be pointing the finger in. Right? If you look at the, uh, the, the statistics about the church as a whole, the church as a whole isn't doing much better. Okay, but if you drill into the statistics themselves, I spent a lot of time trying to get at particular numbers and, and realizing there's this whole crazy notion behind the marriage and divorce statistics and stuff. But if you drill into them, you'll find that there is a significant difference. There is a huge difference in the success of marriages among Christians who actually follow Jesus' views of marriage. Okay, And so, um, unfortunately, the church is filled with a lot of people who don't. Okay, so, um, so what this means for us, like the brass tacks of this, is that all of us here today, both Christians and non-Christians, everybody, all of us here today, have an incentive to listen to what Jesus has to say. Okay, all of us. All of us. And, for those of you who aren't married, don't leave. Don't leave. This, this is going to be good for you. Why? Well, a few reasons. First, your future marriage starts now. Okay? Who you will be as a spouse, if marriage is in your future, begins right now. Okay? It actually began a long time ago, but as of it, it starts right now. The sooner that you begin to prepare to be a husband or a wife, the more prepared you will be when that day comes. And what you do now matters. Matters. Second, you have friends who are married. And if you want to be able to help them, maybe knowing Jesus' view of marriage may help you to help them. 
And then third, knowing what Jesus says about marriage and understanding the picture that the Bible creates when it talks about marriage helps you to know who Jesus is. Right? Does Jesus have a view of marriage that's embarrassing to you? Well, if that's the case, then you might not trust him in your life. You might not want to trust him. But if what he says makes sense, if what he says sounds like it's actually a better way to do marriage, then you might, even if you're not married or never going to be married, you might think, you know what? I want to line up with the guy who says that. Okay? So this is for all of us. Um, there was a short scene in a movie quite a while back called Catch Me If You Can. And the movie was about something totally different, but there was kind of a throwaway scene where the lead character was, uh, was dating a girl and he was at her house. And they had dinner together and after dinner, there was this really short scene of the, 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 the girl's parents. And they were standing <clears throat> at the sink doing the dishes. And they were side by side. And you couldn't even see their faces. You just saw them side by side. And while they were doing the dishes, they were kind of like swaying back and forth and doing this sort of dance. And it was the coolest thing. It put this impression on my mind of, like, man, like, if only that is what marriage was for everyone. You know, that marriage, in its best way, it's like a dance. It's like a dance between two people. Even in the ordinary things of life, there's a bit of, like, of, of fun. There's a bit of excitement. There's a bit of, like, this is more than just an ordinary thing. That's the image that the Bible paints of what Jesus' view of marriage is. It is a dance. It is a dance. It's the dance that all, it's the dance of a healthy marriage. It's the dance of healthy relationships. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Okay, so if you want to write something down, here are the main points. Let me give them to you now. We're going to see first, stepping on toes. Okay? Second, learning the dance. And then third, knowing the master teacher of the dance. Okay, so stepping on toes, learning the dance, knowing the master teacher of the dance. Okay, if we're all going to admit, we need to be honest, there are times in the dance when we step on each other's toes. Okay, we just need to be honest about that. we got to know so that we can grow, so that we can stop stepping on the other's toe. Right? A little bit of a rhyme there. Um, in marriage, toe stomping, it kills the dance. It kills your desire to dance, and it puts you on the sidelines. Okay? And so we got to know, how do we step on each other's toes? How can we stop stepping on each other's toes? Let's talk about that. The biggest temptation, in my mind, that wives and women face, and it's in my mind because it's been put there by a lot of women that I've talked to, so it's not, I'm not just, right, yeah, it'd be kind of silly. Um, the biggest temptation that wives and women face is to demean and disrespect their husbands. That is the biggest temptation... And, and when they do this, it is, the, it is the stiletto heel of their shoe stabbing the toe of the one that they're dancing with. Okay, that's, that's, what it, that's what it does when you demean and disrespect your man. And the hard part is that culture is teaching us to do this all the time. Okay, you can't escape the temptation to do this, right? Every marriage on television, every marriage on television, 
has a stupid oaf of a husband and a cool, hip, savvy wife. Right? And in every television show, she is constantly sort of rolling her eyes at him, usually behind his back, you know, and kind of winking and saying, you know what, we'll talk later when the oaf is gone. Right? This is the image that we are given in our culture. This is what's pounded into us over and over and over again. And the hard part is that now, actually, in a lot of shows, she's doing that in front of his face. And men, really, because we have no other choice, men have basically been forced to have to like learn to live with this. Like, we just, okay, yeah, ha, 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 ha. It destroys us inside. It destroys men inside when they are demeaned. And in real life, there are women, wives, who get together and they just rip their husbands apart. They complain, they ridicule, they make fun of him. These things destroy respect. These things destroy... You can't do that and then go dance with the guy that you're married to. I mean, it's, it's, it's having two faces. I mean, it, it causes a separation in your soul when you do that. And, and I don't think there's anything that is more deflating to a husband. I mean, really, you think about what a deflation is. Like, just anything that lets the air out so that what's left is kind of a saggy, like, dilapidated, discouraged. That's what happens. That's what happens. This is, I think, the biggest way that wives, that women step on the toes of their men. Now, I think that the biggest temptation that husbands and men face in the dance, um, it's actually in verse 19. It's being harsh. Being harsh. Harsh is the biggest way that husbands ruin the dance of love in marriage. And this word harsh, it actually, you can translate it in a different way. It's related, but it can also be translated to mean to embitter. Okay, to embitter, to make someone else bitter. You know, and I was thinking about that, bitterness. Yeah, we kind of, I think we understand that a little bit. But I was thinking, you know, like foods that make, like there are foods that, that taste bitter, right? And so I did some research and I found out, I didn't want to, I found out that, you know, citrus, well, citrus is kind of sour, right? But citrus peels are bitter, right? Have you ever eaten a citrus peel? bitter. It's bitter. So I got a tangerine here. Have you ever eaten something that's bitter? You know what it does to you? Husbands, don't embitter your wives. This is not pleasant. Ew, you get that like feeling, like starts in the back of your mouth and then it goes up into your ears and you're just, it's like uncomfortable. Hmm. 
Husbands, are you giving your wives citrus peels to eat? Seriously, is the way that you are acting toward her, she's trying to live her life, right? Maybe she's trying to honor the way of Jesus in your marriage. And your response is that you are giving her, you are living in a way, you are treating her in a way that makes her role a bitter one. We do this. There's a range of the ways that we do this. There's a range to harshness. On the one side, you've got being physically abusive. And on the other side, you've got neglect. You know, where you just check out. Those are both expressions of harshness. I mean, the one, that's easy to see, right? Physically abusive, the present, you're bringing the presence of evil into your relationship. But over here, you're checking out. You are detaching. You are depriving her of what she needs. That's harsh. That's harsh. Both of these extremes are unacceptable. Both of these extremes are, at best, stepping on her toes. At worst, like breaking her feet or throwing her down. Maybe you're saying, look, I I want to stop, but I don't know how. You need to put some barriers in between you and the monster that you become. You need to figure out what can go in between you and the monster that you become. It may be that Jesus is a huge part of the barrier between you and the monster that you become, where you come, you, you, you study the word of Christ and you dwell on that so that it comes into your mind as you are tempted to go into the cycle that leads you to being harsh. You may need to get other people involved. If you cannot keep yourself from becoming that monster, then you need to get help need to get help. If there is anything that God does not stand for, it is abusing someone who is in a helpless situation. This God's daughter that you're married to. It's God's daughter that you may be dating. It's God's daughter that you may be using. And God will not stand for harshness.
may be people in your life that you need to put in between physical barriers. There may be new routines that you have to start. This entire chapter is all about putting off. That's part of your old self. Okay? That is part of your old self. That monster is not who you are when you trust in Jesus. You can put that, you can put that self off. What you need is a death and a resurrection. And that's what Jesus provides. If you come to Jesus, if you look to Him for help, and you don't hide your, yourself in the midst of your harshness, Jesus will respond. He will welcome you. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. And He will work in your life. He will use other people. And He will work in your life to help you grow. He will call you. Look at verse 12. You will be one of His chosen ones, holy and beloved by Him. But you need to get help. And women, you're not off the hook. Okay? The torture that you do on men, the Bible describes like a dripping faucet. That constant, relentless torture. It can be just as, I mean, it's, it's just as deflating. It's just as debilitating. And the Lord would call you to give that up. To admit this is not the way of Jesus. We're all in the same boat here. We need to learn to die and rise. And we'll get more on that. We need to learn the dance. Right? Not just stepping on toes. We need to learn the dance. That's our second point. Our second point is learning the dance. That bitter taste is still in my mouth. It's awful. Lord's Supper, here I come. Okay. Learning the dance is point two. The goal is a, is a beautifully choreographed life together. Okay, like that's the picture. Right? Think about that, where you enhance each other's lives. Okay, where you bring each other joy. Where there is harmony. You both know each other. You know the dance. And there's enough improvising to keep things fresh and exciting. And while that sounds great, like that's what we want to strive for. Okay, we want to strive for that. But, but, we're not looking for perfection. Okay? What we're looking for, I, I mean, happiness, what, what happiness needs is not perfection. What happiness needs is hope. Okay? Hope that things could get better than they are now. Okay? When, when, when there's hope that things could get better, or when there's hope that things are getting better, right? That's when happiness actually begins. I've seen that over and over and over again. Major, major problems in a marriage or in a relationship, and, um, and one finally just admits what they haven't been willing to admit for that long. And though they don't change, you know, become perfect overnight, right? Just the fact that there is a confession, a fact that there is a desire to engage in a process to grow makes the other happy. Like honest happiness. Right? And so we're not looking for perfection. We're just looking for hope that things can get better. And so as we talk about the dance, you want to think, what are my next steps 
Like, what are the steps that I can learn to do? Okay, what can I start doing now that I wasn't doing before? What can I stop doing now that I was doing before that can help me enter in to the dance? So verse 18 tells us um, the wives' side of the dance. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All right, so I admit that when this was coming up, I was a little bit nervous about preaching this, right? Do people really say this stuff anymore? Like, isn't this part of why we buried Jesus' view on marriage, right? I mean, this is hate speech in some communities. Um, it's demeaning. It's, you know, all these things. And, uh, and I guess I, I want to offer you some perspective. Um, when you study the Bible... Okay, when you look and, and study the Bible in the context in which it was written, compared to the cultures that, um, of the days that it was written, you actually see that the, the wisdom of the Bible honors women actually more than other cultures. Okay? Um, for instance, in, in the Old Testament, when it was written, the Bible actually gave women legal rights when they had none in other cultures. Okay, that's big. So if you read in the Old Testament, you think, man, this is bad. You should, it's like, well, man, you should see what the alternatives were. In the New Testament, Jesus shocked the people of his day by spending time with women, by teaching women. Nobody did that back then. By having women in prominent roles that were unheard of in other cultures or other religions of his time. Um, for instance, the women in that culture, they weren't allowed to inherit. You couldn't inherit the inheritance went from father to son, father to son, father to son. If you were a woman, you would inherit through your father or your husband. And yet, the New Testament makes it really clear and actually says that women in the church, women have the same inheritance as sons. Nobody else said that. The New Testament opposes the oppression of women in society and in the family. It calls husbands and the church to honor them in ways that actually made the church stand out from the culture. This is just when you study the culture, this is what you see. Now, having said that, the church has not always reflected Scripture's teaching on these issues very well. Okay, the church has been guilty of oppressing women. It has been guilty of of allowing abuse, of allow, I mean, there's a litany of things that you could point to that would be bad examples by the church. But what's important, what's essential to understand is that when the church has done that, it's been the church that's at fault, not the way of Jesus. And so what does it mean for wives to submit? What exactly does this mean? Well, Let's start that answer by, let me give you another place where this word submit is used. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 24, it says this, All the leaders and the mighty men pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. The phrase pledge their allegiance is the same word that's used here for submit. And so what it's saying here is that wives... You want to pledge your allegiance and your support to your husband. Okay? And in one word, 
This means respect. Respect. I talked to a number of women that are part of Harbor this uh, over the last couple of weeks um, because I knew this was coming up and wanted to get some opinions. And, and one of the women said this, I used to think that submission simply meant that when we disagreed, he got the last vote. But that's not entirely what submission is about. It's about an attitude that you have toward your husband, that you respect his judgment, that you respect his leadership, and you trust that when you disagree that he's being guided by God. It's about respect. And so in the dance, to submit means to let him lead. To let him lead. And in that light, when you flesh it out, to submit means, it means to come up under. It means to bolster or empower, to encourage. It's, it's being the wind in the sails. Right? It's being the rocket fuel that keeps the jet running. In Genesis 2, we see that the woman was created to be the helper to the man. And that word helper, you know, it's, it's a challenging word because it, it can be, it, it, people can hear that word and think, oh, it means sidekick or insignificant other. Right? But that's not. Because what's interesting is that the Bible says the woman is the helper, and then the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Bible over and over and over again says that God is the helper of his people. Over a hundred times it says that God is the helper. And so far from denigrating women, God created woman so that she can be like him. God created marriage so that the wife could provide his kind of help to her husband. She becomes his helper. She becomes the hands and the feet, the heart and the encouragement of God in his life. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, we want to ask the question, how do I respect him if he doesn't deserve respect? Right? What if he's not worth respecting? If you're in that situation, and while we're talking about that, husbands, men, why don't you think while we're talking about that, am I being respect worthy? Like, am I worthy of respect? Right, well, so if, if you're in that situation, your wife, your woman, you want to step back and ask, is there anything worth respecting in him? Anything. What are his gifts? What does he do well? What are his talents? And recognize they may be very different from yours. Um, if you're, you might be in a relationship in a marriage where um, you don't really esteem even normally those gifts or those talents. I mean, if that's the case, you kind of need to turn a little bit on that. 
You want to identify what are, if, especially if his gifts are different, his emphasis is different from yours, like you need to do some extra work on really getting to a place where you can say, well, this is a gift, this is a positive thing, and this is why. Um, and it, once you identify those things, start there with your encouragement and your respect. Okay, start encouraging that. Start respecting him for that. Okay? And, and see, where, see where it goes. Um, and again, he may not be what you want him to be, but at least is he in process. Okay? Um, like we talked before about, you know, happiness doesn't come with perfection. Happiness comes with hope. Right? So is he working on it at least? And if he is, can you respect that? You should be able to. Is he at least trying? Is he willing to confess it, admit it when he fails? Like that's something that there are some women who just die for that. And so again, you start there. My experience in my own marriage, but also um, talking to lots of other people, is that your respect, your help, your submission is part of what helps encourage his continued growth. When you begin to respect him, it's like you end up, I mean, the, the vicious cycle is he's harsh, he's, you don't respect him, so he's harsher and you don't respect him even more. You know, when you begin to reverse that trend, things happen. Then you actually, it turns back into a dance. Now, if you think through that and you still can't get to a place where you can respect him, then you need to get help. Okay, you need to bring a friend into your life, begin to talk, not to complain, but to find out how can you grow. Um, it may be that you want to get into counseling um, to help you work through that. Um, it may be that, you know, we need to come alongside your husband at some, at some point as well. So, um, but you just don't want to stay where you are. Now, okay, talking about submission, we, we got to talk about the exceptions, right? Let's talk about the exceptions because I think we all, like common sense tells us that if wives are to submit, well, there must be times when wives don't have to submit, right? You can begin to think about instances where that might be the case. The verse here even talks about that. Verse 18, it says, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Okay? So you want to, you want to submit when the Lord thinks it's fitting for you to submit. Okay? So when is it not fitting to submit? Just a couple things. If he asks you to sin, you do not submit to him. Okay? Acts 5.29, you have the apostles there who say, you decide whether we should obey God or you. But we're going to obey God. And so, if you are being asked to sin, then you don't submit. Now, the other thing, is if by submitting, he will be in sin, don't submit. Okay? If by you submitting, he is in sin, don't submit. So, abuse. You don't have to subject yourself to physical or emotional or verbal abuse. Okay? You can lead. You can get help. Okay? By staying in, if you are going to be enabling him to sin against you, you don't have to submit to that. A 
Submission and confrontation go together. Okay? Got to realize that. Submission does not mean doormat. Submission means helper. Right? And if God is the helper, there are times when God comes and says, this ain't right. It's okay for you to say, that hurts. It's okay for you to say, that's not acceptable to me. It's okay to say, you hurt me. It's okay to say, you need to listen. Okay, these things are consistent with the kind of submission that is fitting in the Lord. And if you need help, get help. Okay? There are some dark things that go on in marriages. And if you are stuck and locked in the darkness, you can get help. Get help. You don't have to stay in there. Certainly not under the guise of the way of Jesus. I don't care what he says. If submission means that you will be sinning or he will be sinning against you, you can get out. So, again, just to sum, um, submission means let him lead and then help him when he does. So the dance for the husbands, verse 19, says, Husbands, love your wives. Okay? Your step in this dance is to love. Okay? That means, practically speaking, you put her needs ahead of yours. Okay, that means that you serve her. You satisfy her needs. What she wants is more important than what you want. Okay, that's what love means. It means that you revolve yourself around her. And your life revolves around her in the dance. This is how all authority works in the way of Jesus. Okay, it's what we read in the confession, the assurance of pardon. You know, the, the context there in Matthew 20 is that the mother of the sons of Zebedee, so two of the twelve apostles, the mother comes and says, Jesus, I want something from you. And Jesus says, what do you want? And she says, say that these two sons of mine can sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left, in your kingdom. She's saying, look, can you give my boys the best place of honor in your kingdom? Okay, we can talk more about that, but... Um, but then after they, after she said that, the other ten, when they heard it, they were pissed. They were indignant at the two brothers. And then Jesus calls to them and says, You know that the, ruler, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 26, It shall not be so among you. Husbands, there are people out there who will say that you can dominate your wife, you can oppress her, you can push her down, that you're the leader, that she needs to just fall in line with whatever you say. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. Jesus says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. All authority that is given by Jesus is authority that is designed to be used to serve others. All authority. 
in the family, in the church, in the workplace, in the community, everywhere. Jesus' authority is designed to be used to serve others. So husbands, how are you doing? How? What, what, in what ways are you loving your wives? Men, how are you caring for your significant other? Because it starts now. What are you doing? What are you saying that would show her that you love her? Do you even know what you should do, could do, that would mean the most to her? You can find out. It's a secret thing about asking. Because um, as you think about what are you doing or saying to show her that you love her, you want to ask yourself, does she think that they are loving things that you're doing? Right? Does she, is she receiving it as love? Or not? What sacrifices are you making? Right? What little things are you doing that maybe only she can see? Or that even she can't see? What are you doing that demonstrates that you are using the authority that God has given you to revolve your life around loving and caring for her? And it's not just the little things, but it's the big things too. Right? How do you use your tie-breaking vote? Huh? You are never to use your authority to do anything but to serve her. That means that you only contradict her desires because you are giving yourself for her. Okay? That makes sense? You have to be able to stand before God, before her, and before your friends and say, I made this decision to go against her will because I was loving her. Now, if you let that soak in, you may be thinking at this point, well, if I love her like that, she's going to walk all over me. Women, close your ears for a second. Guys, that's how she feels. That's what she's afraid of. If I do this, if I submit to my husband, he's going to walk all over me. It's exactly how she feels. And this is why love is a dance. What Jesus has done is he has created a, a marriage environment where the wife is longing and rooting and supporting the husband's leadership. And the husband is using that leadership to serve her and take care of her, to put her first. And what that does is it creates this amazingly wonderful dance where both are revolving around the other. That's amazing. That is glorious. That is the good news of the gospel. That's what Jesus brings to a marriage. Man, we're out of time. Um, Let me say this. 
What do you do if you are the only one in your relationship or your marriage that wants to dance? Right? What do you do if you're in, but your spouse is not? Um, I mean, it's hard enough to get this right when you're both in. But what do you do when the other one will walk all over you, will take advantage of you? And incidentally, if you're dating right now or want to be dating at some point, like this is the kind of dance that you're aiming for. You want to find someone who's willing to do this dance with you, okay? So just don't screw around. Just date in that direction. Life will go a lot easier for you, and you'll be preparing yourself to be the spouse you need to be. Um, But if you're in, and you're the only one who's in, boy, if you're a wife, then know that as you submit to him, your submission is also a submission to Jesus. And he will never, ever be harsh with you. And remember that your submission does not ask you to either sin or to be sinned against. Okay? But Jesus will be for you that affirming, caring, gentle presence in your life who will treasure your submission and will honor you. If you're a husband, then know that your sacrificial love for your wife is also being expressed to Jesus. And Jesus has the utmost respect. There is no higher respect that Jesus has than for someone who is willing to sacrifice to love someone else and be hurt by it. Because that's exactly what he has done for us. Friends, when you realize that behind these roles, both husbands and wives have this amazing opportunity to be the image of God. Jesus is asking from husbands and wives only what he himself has done. Only what he was willing to do for us. And in that, boy, that brings us to both the cross and the resurrection where he shows how much he loves, he shows how much he cares, and he shows his willingness to submit even to his father when he didn't want to do it. He did it anyways out of love for you. So we got to end there. This is just the beginning of the conversation, though. Okay, Continue to talk about this in community groups. If you have questions, come chase me down after the service or ask someone else. And, um, and we'll, we'll continue to press into this as we go. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that in your infinite wisdom you have created this dance. Thank you for being our master teacher, showing us that you do this and then showing us how we can do this. Lord, that you did this for us means everything. That you suffered and endured Not so that we'd feel guilty for when we don't do what you do, but you did all that so that we would feel your love and your affirmation. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to everybody here today and that you would draw them into your wisdom, that you would draw them into your grace and your love. 
and that you would show us uh, really how to be in relationship with each other. Jesus, speak to every person in a dating or a marriage relationship and draw your presence so near that every one of us would know what you're calling us to do this week. How we can walk and dance with you as we seek to dance with with our spouses. And we will give you the glory. Amen.